Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Dev Banerjee, who joins us again for his second episode on sleep. Dr. Banerjee is one of Australia's leading sleep doctors, and he is the medical director at Lullaby Sleep, based on the Central Coast in New South Wales. In this episode, we explore the role of CBD, better known as medical cannabis, and get an insight into how it can be used to facilitate and improve people's sleep. We unravel the stigma associated with medical cannabis and learn how it is used legally under supervised specialist care. So we're back here again with the, I want to say famous or infamous, Dr. Dev. Your, your last podcast got quite the reaction from a lot of my friends and family who said, that Dev guy was amazing. It was so, I don't know what he was talking about, but it was very good. Oh, <laughs> they loved it. Uh, I'm just so grateful that Peter Dutton let me into Australia to allow me to do the podcast. So, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> so last, last time you were here, we spoke about sleep very generally in terms of yeah. the problems people are having. We spoke about sleep studies. We spoke about, you know, people with a busy mind and so on. But I know a big part of what you do um, is prescribing medical cannabis to help people sleeping. And I think you're one of the only or one of a small number of people who've actually got an ability to do that. So that's what we wanted to focus on today. Is that right, Jake? Is that what we're here to do? Yes. <laughs> well, look, we, we, you know, we kind of didn't have enough time in the last one. We just went off on yeah. so many tangents, which was great. So, but, but the reason we initially got you here was because of your unique sort of prescribing background and, and experience with that sort of uh, medication. So, yeah, let's get into it. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, what can I say? COVID has been a complete revelation. Um, and, um, I mean, it's been a disaster for many with mental health and jobs um, but it's really opened our eyes in focusing on symptoms and uh, what the customer or the patient wants, and that's uh, managing stress, anxiety, well-being. And yeah, look, uh, you know, um, CBD oil or medicinal cannabis uh, is a is a big thing that's um, coming up. And uh, watch this space. And uh, I mean, it's been around for a while, uh, more in the chronic pain sector. Yeah. And there's a lot of pain specialists who do prescribe regularly uh, medicinal cannabis. Um, but for the anxiety and insomnia sector, it's a very big uh, potential. So very excited to be able to talk about it. So we did actually do a podcast not that long ago on sort of the topic of CBD. But can you just sort of, you know, give the listeners who maybe missed that one just a bit of a background to what it is and no, sure. you know, how it's used generally? Look, I think, uh, first of all, um, I don't uh, use this stuff. I'm a very boring person with a wife, two kids live in Warunga and a dog called Barney <laughs> and also support the roosters, which is very boring as well. But the science and the pharmacology and the interaction with the psychology is, 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 is the key thing for me, which is why um, I've looked at alternate ways in treating symptoms of anxiety, insomnia, compared to the traditional so-called benzodiazepines, which really is not 
it just doesn't quite cut the mustard. So um, when you're talking about that, where you mean things like Valium? Yeah, Valium, yep. Tamazepam, uh, Stillnox, yep. you know, really not pleasant drugs, side effects. And what they do is, yeah, look, they help with sleep by activating the, the GABA receptor, but it doesn't actually help with the, the driving force of the sleep problem, which is in many people this hyperarousal state or an anxiety state. And obviously we've seen a lot of that with COVID. Mm. And I'd say 50% of my workload is due to insomnia and anxiety related. Yeah. So that gives you a picture of how big a problem it is. So, And it would seem like a lot of those drugs that you, you sort of just described there it can be quite addictive and they can sometimes be a bit of a one-way street for people that they find hard to come back from. Yeah, and I think, um, look, addiction and dependency has always been um, a big uh, fear of, of all of us. I suppose if you really think about the what the patient is saying and you ask them, well, what do you crave for? Do you crave for sleep or do you crave for drugs? They always say crave for sleep. And so if you understand the physiology and the psychology, then you can cut the cloth accordingly with the pharmacology and so these drugs might help with sleep but doesn't actually help with uh, the the driver of that sleep problem which is where medicinal cannabis particularly cbd oil is very different and it works on the endocannabinoid system um and so what it does it sort of re-equilibrates that flight fright and flight uh effect that cortisol the the hyperdrive the get up and go the busy brain inability to switch off and that's where cbd as an as a chemical works very well on the endocannabinoid system so dev just um tell us again cbd oil you know what is it what is it made of uh for the for the listener who knows no idea about that so the cannabis plant um and there's various species of cannabis plant uh, and um there's various cannab chemicals called cannabinoids mm. and the two most uh important chemicals is cannabidiol or cbd or tetrahydrocannabinol or THC mm -hmm. and I think it's very important for listeners to realize that the two very different chemicals and THC is what you get in marijuana and so you know a high quality marijuana plant might have up, up to 20-23% THC mm -hmm. but it's a THC that gives you the high and that's why it's used recreationally but the THC itself is a very helpful chemical when it comes to chronic pain, uh, helping insomnia as well. And there's a lot of other usage of THC in the medical field. And it works on something called the CB1 and CB2 receptors in the brain. Hmm. And through that, it helps with chronic pain and obviously sedation. Um, CBD or cannabidiol, you don't really get that necessarily traditionally in the marijuana plant it's in the hemp plant yeah the hemp we grow to make ropes but it's in the flower that you get a lot of rich amounts of cbd and cbd works on this endocannabinoid system which is very much a a, a tapestry of neurotransmitters in the brain that particularly works on anxiety but there's a lot of interest in it helping with chronic pain and synovitis i.e. arthritis there's a lot of amazing science going on into how cbd and many patients who have anxiety insomnia also have chronic pain and therefore many of us who prescribe medicinal cannabis we prescribe a bit of both actually but it has to be tailored to that individual 
Can I just um, just uh, clarify something? You said that they're different plants. I thought that it was the same plant. Like I thought we were talking about the cannabis plant, but it was different parts of it that were used for different... Is that right or am I confused? So it's a different species of the right. plant. So for those um, horticulturally who um, produce medicinal cannabis, they've obviously cross-fertilized various plants. It's a bit like vineyards and there's a blend. Right. So the cannabis that's grown in those plants will have a mixture of CBD and a mixture of THC and then right. they go through a distillation process. But obviously those where you're growing marijuana... It's the THC that's the key right. chemical for that purpose. Technically, CBD, almost you could say, is an antidote to THC because it brings that high down, right. which is why when you have a combo of CBD and THC, it minimizes that risk of the high. Because many people say to me, ah, oh, this has got THC, will it give me the high and other psychoactive effects? Well, the CBD protects those individuals from that. So obviously if you had CBD in a marijuana plant, then it won't actually be, you know, be used for its purpose. Mm. But we have to be careful not to mix the two. Um, and I think that's very important that the listeners, you know, if they've been considered for medicinal cannabis for whatever condition they have, that they don't mix it up thinking, oh, I'm going to have medicinal marijuana because marijuana isn't, hasn't got the CBD and think of it as medicinal cannabis, but think of it as CBD plus or minus THC rather than marijuana. And I think we're moving away from that mindset that, oh my God, it's marijuana. It isn't. And it's a completely different ball game. Right. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of how they work to help with sleep, so you were saying the THC helps with, it gives you the high, it makes you feel relaxed, it works on the nervous system. Is that correct? And so, then, yes, yeah, so I'm just mm, trying to understand how the different, those two different chemicals help with, with sleep in terms of their function. Well, we wouldn't give THC to get them high, obviously. Right. That's completely contradictory of yes. what our purpose is as a physician, because that's the the high is a side effect of the right. THC, right. basically. Okay. Um, but the THC itself, in general, helps with sleep induction, sleep maintenance. But what the CBD does, it brings down that flight, fright and flight, the cortisol levels. Because sleep is, or insomnia is a very complex condition physiologically, which is why it's so important to understand physiologically the individual. If it's driven by anxiety, then CBD would work extremely well. If it's driven by chronic pain or it's driven by entrenched insomnia from um, chronic mental health illness like depression, mm. adding the THC would help that, including the chronic pain as well. So which is why it's so important for a specialist yep. to assess that individual to see what combination. So um, the majority of the patients that I see for insomnia, and that's driven by anxiety from like COVID and stress, um, CBD works extremely well. It's a great drug for that. In your last episode, you sort of walked us through, you know, your consultation, you Zoom a lot of people. When you get to the discussion about treatments and CBDs potentially on the table, like uh, when is that introduced and, and, and are, are, there, are there contraindications for it? So I, I think we have to be quite clear that um, I'm not a cannabis clinic necessarily cannabis prescribe it to anybody who comes through my door. Mm -hmm. I'm a sleep physician. I'm a specialist. And so when people come to me 
because of their sleep problem, they're not coming to access medicinal cannabis. Yep. They're trying to access expertise. They're trying to access solutions. And I think that's a, an extremely important distinction between myself uh, and my team as a clinic compared to getting medicinal cannabis from wherever online or access clinics and so on. Because yep. at the end of the day, your insomnia... I know what you mean. Insomnia is a very vague term. It means you don't sleep well and you're not refreshed. But the physiological mechanism can be a wide variety. Is it restless legs? Is it anxiety? Is it sleep apnea and snoring or whatever? Is it chronic pain? Is it uh, reflux? And so my job is to, with my team, work out, well, what's the mechanism? Mm -hmm. And then provide the solution. So not everybody that comes my way will end up on... CBD oil, obviously, yeah. but it's part of a repertoire of solutions that we have. Yeah, I was reading some interesting statistics uh, earlier on before we before we went on on the air about insomnia, and I was pretty blown away with the numbers in terms of how prevalent it is in our society across the world. So I found a, a, an article saying that um, it sits between ten to thirty percent of the general population, and about fifty to sixty percent in people that are older or people that have mental. Um, health issues was that would that be reflected in I guess the people that you've seen would you would you back up those numbers and oh for sure um, certainly um, not necessarily mean ten or thirty percent at the moment are suffering from insomnia but at some stage yes. in their lives would do but clearly when it does it has a, a massive impact on well being and like I said um, stress and anxiety and as a result insomnia has been so much more prevalent with COVID. And that anxiety, whether it be anxiety, whether it be depression, whether it be other mental health issues like PTSD, um, bipolar, ADHD, doesn't go away when the sun goes down. Mm. It's still there at night time, but it morphoses into sleep disturbance. And so that's why it's critical to understand the primary driver of the insomnia. And so in mental health, insomnia is extremely common. And so I, I rarely see folks that come my way who've been under psychiatric care for a long-standing amount of time to have normal sleep. They just don't. But the sleep issues can also perpetuate the mental health issues. But a lot of people with depression, they might have put weight on with the medication, develop sleep apnea, mm. which is why having the sleep test might actually say, well, in fact, sleep apnea is the main driver of the sleep disturbance. And they do very well on CPAP, they sleep better, and their mental health issues become a lot more manageable, for sure. That's why important to understand the mechanism of insomnia. Now, um Obviously, in Australia, we've we've done quite well with COVID. Uh, obviously, Melbourne was slightly different, but generally speaking, things are as good as they're going to get compared to the rest of the world. Are you still seeing that hyper anxiety and those new people who still are having problems as a result of what happened a few months ago? I don't think the anxiety that I'm seeing is driven by COVID. I think, I mean, I was driving up to here. Uh, I mean, everything looks pretty normal. Yes. Even those people buying flowers, you know, outside the, you know, in the florist shop. I mean, something I don't do often. <laughs> if, if I did, my wife think I've made a mistake. Or <laughs> I have to apologize. Even the florist is busy. 
How good is that? Yeah. Well, you, you said know. you were driving here and there's signs saying Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach nearly full. Yeah. I mean, how do you define nearly? Is it like just fitted two extra people in or something? Uh, <laughs> They're going to have those little, you know, when you go to the shopping centre and they've got the little light where you're saying there's a parking spot there. That's right. I'll yeah, put those yeah, at the yeah. beach. No more, no more sand left. I think if they said full, then there's a, a technique to actually keep people away but they're not really full I mean I don't know who and how much that person gets paid for putting nearly full upon those sort of signs yeah um, but certainly driving around the city I mean Sydney obviously you know we've dodged a bit of a bullet and you know someone has to take credit for that I think and I've got my personal views on that um, but certainly we've we've been very lucky mm. but I don't think it's the COVID that's the issue I think it's the jobs it's the those in um, whether it be the health sector so I'm seeing a lot of nursing staff um, who are burning out big mm. time the teaching profession I mean they're they're the cream when it comes to stress, anxiety, insomnia. So a lot of them are coming my way. And obviously anybody in the travel industry or hospitality, um, still on job keepers, where where's twenty twenty one going to um, come you know for them and certainly those who work for the airlines so it's more sort of not the COVID and the virus people are over the virus and I think people have realized well I'm not going to let COVID run my life I've got to be in charge of my life but it's it's obviously their financial situation that's driving the anxiety yeah. big time yeah and you know we well David and in your clinic as well you see a lot of airline staff and mm -hmm. pilots and uh, sort of, you know, all those sorts of people, and they've just got nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. So it depends on your industry. Other people, uh, crazy busy, including myself. It's just uh, so so lottery, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, they're just mm. yeah, they're at the mercy of of policy, and well, I mean, the policy is driven by being sensible, which is we're trying to quarantine countries because some are doing a lot worse than others. Like we're pretty lucky here in Australia, but some parts of Europe are still struggling. America's still in a bit of a mess, so. You know, having those people come over here is just going to reignite the problem. So it's not, it's just unlucky, as you said. And um, gosh, I mean, imagine not being being a pilot and then all of a sudden not flying for two years and then you start again. I mean, they're going to have to do like a refresher course. I yeah. mean, yeah. <laughs> I'd be a bit nervous hopping one of those flights for the first time. It's like, I think I remember how I do this. Well, also the planes <laughs> are parked in Alice Springs. So, yeah. you know, they're literally in the middle of the desert. Are they plane worthy? I have no, or fly worthy? I, I don't know. Yeah. And certainly the, the, um, the pilots that are coming my way, um, the issues have been the, the concern about the retraining as well. Yeah. Um, if you're an A380 pilot and that's all you did, but they're, they're not in use anymore, um, and international flights, and a patient of mine um, yesterday, I did, did a Saturday clinic, um, he's one of the, the chief international flight pricing officer right. for Qantas. And so... What's he going to price? There is no international flights. Yeah. So, you know, hell knows, you know, when uh, he's going to get back into some work with flights because obviously we're lucky here, but are we flying out to countries where they're being vaccinated? Half the population is the vaccine 100% effective or not? Yep. You know, do you fly back again? So, so 
So it's been ongoing, and I think this uh, um, insomnia anxiety is going to be ongoing for a certainly a long, long time. And the other interesting thing is a lot of these guys are out of work or got job keepers and are having issues with stress and anxiety and unable to focus and concentrate um, in the day, and they're trying to put their CV together. I mean, I've not done a curriculum for Vitae for a long time. You know, I don't know where would I'd start. Um, you know, I have to take out my school. Bit, you know, <laughs> 1979 to 1980, uh, 1986. Captain you know? of chess. That's right. You know, <laughs> uh, once helped in an aged care home in 1978. You know, where do you start? And so they're in a huge cash flow situation. You know, for example, if they were having treatment for insomnia and anxiety, then that costs money. Yeah. And so they might have had to let go of their health insurance as well. So it's a real problem. Um, this is a bit of a in-depth question, but I just sort of want to get to the root of CBD versus the other medical sort of things, like you said, like Valium. So how does Valium or a sedative work? What, what is it doing to, to the physiology versus, you know, CBD? Okay, so in our brain, there's lots of receptors, um, chemical receptors. So there's GABA, there's dopamine, there's noradrenaline, adrenaline, acetylcholine, acetylcysteine, and so on. Mm -hmm. And so there's this balance, this seesaw of chemicals that are making the brain awake, making the brain asleep. And so one of the chemicals that make the brain asleep or hypnotizes GABA. So what benzodiazepines do, it's called a benzodiazepine very much from the chemical structure. Mm. Um, and what they do is um, they sit on the benzodiazepine receptor which activates GABA and to have this um, hypnosis calming effect onto the brain. Now, what CBD does um, is not necessarily sit on the GABA receptor to induce hypnosis, but it works on a lot of other receptors, whether it be serotonin, um, there's uh, AM, GAMP receptor uptakes and so on and so on, um, that actually resettle that hyperarousal state mm. um, that not necessarily induce sleep, but actually induces more calming and reduction of the hyperarousal state. THC, however, sits on the CB1 and CB2 receptor, not the endocannabinoid, and that has a hypnosis effect. Right. And so when I'm getting people off benzodiazepine, so a lot of my patients have been on Stilnox, Valium, Tamazepam, etc., um, then... It's a bit of a balancing act because if CBD or THC replaces those drugs on the GABA receptor, then that's easy, just like for like change and, in, you know, over. But they can't because it doesn't really attach onto the GABA receptor. So if you stop the Valium immediately, being on it for 20 years, there's a sudden rebound, you know, from you know, not having the GABA activation. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of an overlap, I find, that you really have to just tread the path really carefully. So it's a real um, artistry, a bit of work here. So I think uh, you but said that's the difference, really, basically, is to do with the receptors and the chemical uh, neurotransmitters. Yeah, because I think you said earlier the THC, you know, it is... Um it's potentially going to keep you awake or it's going to stimulate you? Or have I got that wrong? In, okay, so when someone 
smokes marijuana, um, the amount of THC um, that you ingest, inhale, absorb is enormous. Right. And it's that dosage of the THC that causes that hyperarousal psychoactive effect. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the medicinal version, is talk, we talk about tiny doses at that level, doesn't cause the high, but causes the, the sedation and the, and that's the sleepiness. The sleep induction. The sleep induction, correct. Okay. So, for example, um, obviously all your listeners know this information, but a, a, a cone of the, the most um, uh, <laughs> um, quality marijuana yeah. Yeah. contains about 200 milligrams of THC. It's an enormous amount. Whereas in medicinal cannabis, when we use for pain, sleep, and so on, we talk about five or 10 milligrams. So it's a tiny, tiny dose. Just to qualify, we're definitely not promoting no. recreational drugs. Uh, it's no. just useful uh, to understand. But it's useful to understand the pharmacology because that's what people, that's what people ask me. Yes. They ask me. So when I smoke a joint of marijuana, it puts me to sleep or I get the high. So if I'm converted for and i'm doing because there's a lot of people out there who smoke marijuana for medicinal purposes mm, okay and it's amazing how many do that they don't sit around a fire singing Jimi hendrix songs they take it because they've got cervical disc disease lum lumbar disc disease or they've got mental health issues for insomnia etc etc and that's why they take it and so when you put into perspective of the pharmacology, they sort of get it, thinking, ah, okay, so you know, I don't need to smoke a huge amount yes. of marijuana. And obviously smoking a large amount of marijuana and ingesting and absorbing a large amount of THC then impairs you cognitively. Yeah. And that's where there's the driving issues as well. And also, um, this is probably out of date now, but I remember at medical school, they were saying that when you smoke cannabis, the actual... Um, temperature of, of, of the burning of the cannabis, it's five times hotter than nicotine. So it's just more damaging to your airways. Oh, so absolutely. there's a better way of getting uh, these things into your system with the oil or, absolutely. or whatever. And believe it or not, marijuana is apparently... It's very expensive. So if you're using it on a nightly basis for sleep induction, for pain relief and whatever, you're going to burn a massive hole in your wallet. Yeah. And if you're getting it properly through the right mechanisms, i.e. supervision by specialists who are authorized and Department of Health and TG approved, it works out better in every way. It's safer, it's well controlled, and it's actually cheaper. And legal. And legal. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Mm. So when it comes to sleep, when you're when you've had medical uh, cannabis for, for sleeping does it do anything to the way in which you sleep? I, again, like to research before we, we have discussions. So I um, was looking at some of the articles that were talking about the fact that you will get less REM sleep, but you will get more of the deep sleep. Now, was that true? And is there any issues with that, if that's the case? And remind us what REM sleep is. REM, so re yeah. Okay, REM sleep is when we dream mm -hmm. and our eyes move left to right and right mm -hmm. to left like windscreen wipers. Mm -hmm. Now, why we do that, you know, is one of these sort of hum human man and woman kind mysteries, but that's when we sleep. And so traditionally, many, many, many decades ago in Chicago in a sleep lab, they realized that 
when people were asleep and being monitored, their eyes were flickering and then they put some sensors to the eyes um, and they realized the eyes are moving back and forth. And that's when this concept of REM sleep was created. And we talk about, I think it was 1950s or 1960s or something. But THC does chemically, has been shown in the science to um, increase the amount of deep sleep and might reduce REM sleep. But the thing is, I would never give THC purely for sleep. Mm-hmm. I would give... CBD, depending on what the mechanism of the sleep insomnia is, is it a hyperarousal state? And then possibly prescribe a little bit of THC to help with the deep sleep and the sleep induction. Right. So what you're saying is for THC, but when I treat somebody for insomnia with these chemicals as a combination, then you're getting the best of both worlds. And right. in fact, the CBD is very good for REM sleep and now we're using it a lot more for PTSD as well, reducing that violent nature of the REM sleep. So actually, with the CBD, you actually get more REM sleep as well. And so people say, I started to dream. Mm. And they're not as violent. They're quite vivid still, the dreams, but they're not as violent as well. Right. So I can't um, remember whether we touched on dreams in your first podcast, but a little bit, I think that that is supposed to be the part of sleep where we're potentially organizing memories and experiences. And, and if you don't have, well, if you don't remember dreams or you don't have dreams, presumably you're not having a, a, a you know, a thorough sleep. Oh yeah. I mean, REM sleep is as important as deep sleep, as important as light sleep. It's the, the, um, how it's interwoven um, and we sleep in cycles just to remind everyone we uh, we spend 25% of the night in REM sleep and 75% in non-REM sleep so we start off with light sleep then deep sleep and then REM sleep little slight wakening roll over light deep dream light deep dream in these two hour cycles mm-hmm. now it depends whether you wake up from REM sleep and go, oh, that was a weird dream, or whether you just go straight into non-REM sleep and then wake up. Because if if you do wake up from non-REM sleep, you won't remember what you were dreaming 30 minutes ago. So a lot of people say to me, I don't dream. But when you do the sleep study, they do have REM sleep. Whether they have the visuals at the recall or not is a different story. That's me. I almost never remember dreams. Like you asked me, when did you last have a dream? I couldn't tell you. It's very unusual um, to not have REM sleep. Yes. At all. Now, there are a lot of antidepressant drugs, the SSRIs, um, venoflaxin, Effexor, Pristique, etc., that suppress REM. And so those sort of drugs that are commonly used for anxiety and depression, they yeah. do have a REM suppressant effect as a side effect almost. So when you measure their physiology objectively their REM sleep actually is is sometimes is is a, is is less but it's very unusual for an individual to have no REM sleep whatsoever yeah um it's again it's it's how it's interacting with deep sleep and is it in the cycles but REM sleep is very important for memory consolidation which I think we talked about students who are getting up early in the morning to revise before they have the REM sleep which is the latter part of the night yeah so they won't actually remember what they revised the night before (laughs) yeah Yeah, right 
That's why I never get up at four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. So people who you commence on, on treatment with CBD, how do they reflect back to you what's changed? Like how, and, and how long does it take? And, you know, what are the protocols? Hey, look, it's it, the beauty of um, CBD oil um, is that um, a lot of the patients flex you up, flex you down. And a lot of patients... Um, um, who've had long-standing mental health issues, they've always been uh, in control by somebody else with the drugs, with the therapy and whatever. And so when I say to them, sorry for the low dose, and then when you feel up to it, go up to a little bit extra, go up to one mil, go up to two mils, etc. Um, they suddenly sort of feel, ah, oh, I'm in control of this. And everybody's different. So I'd say start with half a mil, go up to one mil, go up to one and a half mils, you know, whatever the preparation might be, 25 milligrams a mil and so on. And then they'll just find that sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And so when they come back to me and I'll say, hey, how's it going? Then it's either, yeah, uh, took a little while, but got to the sweet spot. I'm on two mils now or 50 milligrams or whatever it is. And that just works well for me for me and that's what that's how it goes really but so there's what, no protocol as such but what is the sweet spot if someone i mean i guess what i'm getting at is how bad is someone's sleep with for example depression and what is a good sleep for them versus a normal person oh they'll know right they'll know they'll know because they they just feel different uh -huh. they feel better they feel they sleep better they feel more refreshed they're less sort of exhausted um they're less anxious they they feel there's less of the um agitation um i'm not saying this i mean there's, there's no evidence that cbd or plus or minus thc uh treats depression yes but it's good for anxiety and insomnia if that's the driver the anxiety mm. um but a lot of people with depression have anxiety as well mind you but they just feel better. And so it's not like a target. It's very qualitative. It's not quantitative to say, well, if you get your blood pressure down from 150 yeah. over 90 to 125 over 75, you're doing great, buddy. So this is very much a qualitative well-being. And at the end of the day, this is the real artistry. And some people say when they once said, look, I wish this was available for, you know, 20 years ago. Um, it wasn't artistic for him. It was wizardry. Um, but he just knows when he's feeling better. And that's the really exciting thing about treating patients like I treat with something that's natural, which is something that allows people to come off opioids, benzodiazepines, and have an effect. I'm not saying 100% everybody gets better. I think that's important. It's not like the sudden holy grail or something. But certainly a very good proportion do very well, and they just know it. They feel better. Um, and they let the GP know who's relieved because, you know, they they... If you ask a GP, oh, I like some Stillnox or Tamazipam, they just sort of start sweating, yeah. <laughs> uh, start having a hyperarousal response because it's very restricted now. And I try and avoid, I, I certainly don't initiate or mm. prescribe these drugs unless they've been established for years and years. But I would have a strategy or a plan to get them off that. So how do you mentally prepare someone for embarking on this type of treatment I know it's not a protocol it's not exact science but for the idea of someone who's you know perhaps quite conservative you know the idea of taking marijuana or can cannabis medical marijuana um, and 
getting them mentally prepared for what's going to come because for the first time someone does that it's probably a little bit confronting they feel a little bit like of out of body experience or the you know maybe some slight feelings of euphoria how do you sort of get someone in the right frame of mind to take that journey okay i've got to actually tell you off now okay because first of all it's not called medical marijuana okay. Right. Because I'm giving them CBD. Okay, sorry. All right? Yep. It's medicinal cannabis. Yes. Secondly, they don't get the euphoria. Okay. Okay, because that's not the aim. Right. If they want to smoke marijuana or whatever, weed, that's how you get the euphoria. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you're taking a huge amount of THC, um, and some people do need large amounts of THC, you can pretty much prevent that euphoria okay. in everybody by having enough CBD. Right. So... The first thing that I do is reassure them that we're not talking about marijuana, yep. we're talking about medicinal cannabis, Right. that it is TJ approved, that it is legal in this country and so on. Yep. A lot of people will actually, who have chronic sleep conditions, chronic anxiety, chronic pain, mm -hmm. actually know about medicinal cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't necessarily approach them and say, hey, look, this is medicinal cannabis i say this is your sleep problem this is the physiology these are the options but i have to say um that we're now moving away from those traditional drugs and looking at cbd and thc i don't say medicinal cannabis necessarily i say it's cannabinoid therapy or cbd and thc and then obviously it's the educational part and reassurance that we're not talking about yeah. marijuana and, and giving them um the information on what the pharmacology is and how it would impact on physiology and look the, most people um understand that and most people have actually read up about it mm -hmm. and the, the large proportion actually are looking for people who can uh, be able to advise them medically because there's a lot of stuff in social media that is some sort of nonsense um, and it's geared towards medicinal marijuana which is a term that I absolutely am up abhor um, because we're not talking about again marijuana we're talking about CBD and THC and that the individual aspect yeah. so a lot of people once they've looked thought about it um, and looked at the options. Um, and look, not everybody um, has a busy brain, have an anxiety that's affecting their well-being. They're not all knocking on my door. Yeah. But the ones that do are usually the ones that are referred from other specialists, like psychiatrists that need help, um, or from GPs who are struggling with optimizing the medications. And they say, look, uh, are there other alternatives? So mm. even the GPs and the psychiatrists know that this is a potential option, but they want it to be supervised, want it to be uh, done properly and correctly, you know, with, with all the education mm. material as well. Yeah, no, I'm glad you clarified that. That's good. Mm. No, I actually, that's a really important point. I know you're sort of joking by telling him <laughs> off, but it's, it's you know, yeah, there'll, be don't people, do it again. there'll be people <laughs> kind of listening still getting these things confused up and still having that uh, stigma of, oh, it's a bit of naughty kind of, you know, cannabis and so on. It's it's not, it's it's different. It's used in the medical way, prescribed by a doctor. Uh, but did you have any stigma from your colleagues when you first, you know, started doing this whenever it was? Uh, look, I've started, I've started uh, looking into this probably in the last nine, 12 months. And that's when it sort of really was sort of taken off. I mean, we've we've known about it, certainly in the chronic pain field. Um, and the, the initial sort of studies uh, on 
the role of CBD and THC in chronic pain, found that they all slept a lot better. And that's how the interest originated and emanated in how yeah. it's improving mm. anxiety and, and insomnia. And so there's a lot more clinical trials that are now taking place. I'll confirm that use. There are trials and data out there. This is not wishy-washy medicine without any trial data. But, but certainly... Um, there's been a lot of interest at a research level on the effect on this, you know, emanating from the chronic pain. Um, so I think a lot of the colleagues, all the, it depends where you are in this sort of um, journey. A lot of colleagues are, you know, a little bit behind. A lot of colleagues are in front. A lot of colleagues prescribe it readily, um, provided it's done the proper way. So eventually, like anything, they'll they'll realise that it's an option. Mm. Whether a GP or a specialist decides to want to prescribe it or refer it to a specialist you know, that that's their personal uh, referral psychology of that specialist so. so how does it work from the the doctor's perspective if if this is you know they're listening to this for the first time how would they train or, or become a prescriber for this look anybody can prescribe um, medicinal cannabis in Australia, mm-hmm. you have to go through something called uh, a TJ application form yeah. um, or a specialist access uh, B form, uh, special access scheme. Um, and they have to put a, uh, an application in where the, the patient details, um, some idea of what you're pres- going to prescribe, which product, uh, and there's a, a list of products um, that are on the TJ that's acceptable yep. to be prescribed uh, and you put it through the portal, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a lot of uh, GPs or specialists out there, you know, it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of, you know, submission time, et cetera, and it's just not what they want to do. So yeah. it's easy almost to refer it to a specialist, particularly if it's a sleep problem or a chronic pain problem and let them deal with it. Of course, yeah. Um, so that's the traditional way of doing it. So it's not as if you can't prescribe, but there are a few that have been uh, regarded as knowing the field and have experience and become something called an authorised prescriber. Mm. And so that um, allows you to prescribe um, these products without having to put in an application through the TGA portal every time. So. Mm. Do you ever have issues with people um, building up like a tolerance to 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 um so, to what you're prescribing at all? Where or does their dose remain fairly con- constant during during the lifetime of the, the using these pre- these products? Look, I suppose um, you know one can argue by saying you know these products haven't been around for you know. 10 years to, to, to answer that question. Sure. But generally, I, I don't. And it's not um, felt that that's what happens. When the circumstances change, like the chronic pain goes up, the anxiety goes up, or the insomnia is worse, then there will be a need for a higher dose. It's a dose therapeutic issue. doesn't necessarily mean they're becoming more dependent or tolerant. It's just that there's a um, a need for a little bit more. And that's the beauty of, like I said, this form of therapy yeah. where patients are in control, that they can flex you up and flex you down. And they've got the knowledge and the know-how and the ability to do that rather than call in, you know, the clinic and say, oh, my insomnia has, has been really bad because I've had a, you know, a personal, you know, tragedy. Um, what shall I do with my dose? You know, they, it's perfectly safe to go up a dose. And I would obviously train them to know what you can go up to, what the maximum dose is and how you take that. 
What what um, I think you said roughly twenty five milligrams a mil is a standard kind of yeah. Look, it depends mate. on the product and uh, um, whether you're twenty five milligrams a mil. There's stronger versions, hundred milligrams a mil. It depends, right. you know, how much how much you need actually. So you start off maybe at the the lower dose, and then you sort of build your way up. And can you overdose? Can you? What what are the side effects if you if you accidentally got it wrong or? There has been no deaths from certainly THC and CBD. Opioids is a different ball game. And CBD is certainly regarded as, in my opinion, one of the safest medicines in the whole world. You can take a bucket of the stuff. You know, no one dies from this stuff. You might get a bit of diarrhea because it's an oil-based preparation. It might give you a bit of gut upset. But it's perfectly safe. And the, the reason why it's so safe is that CB1 and CB2 receptor doesn't sit in the um, brainstem of the central nervous system where the respiratory center is, yeah. where the opioid receptors do, and cause a negative imbalance on the respiratory center, which is why so many people die from opioid overdose, yeah. from respiratory failure. So. I'm trying to get my head around what the effect would be because it's not a sedative, so it's not going to knock you out. You don't wake up sort of fuzzy-headed if you had too much, or or would you? So Okay, so CBD um, um, doesn't impair your cognitive uh, functioning and put you to sleep. Yeah. It reduces cortisol, um, flight, fright, and flight. Now, some people have got high anxiety anxiety is a 24-hour condition so they might take a little bit at night and they take a little bit in the day mm-hmm. now there are some people who take a little bit of cbd oil in the day and they feel drowsy what's happening is that they're on such a hyper hyper arousal state that ameliorates and lessens they almost perceive that as being drowsy and sleepy but it isn't yes you've come from a hyper arousal high energy high hyper grade state to actually feeling a little bit more normal actually yeah. and that reduction makes them feel it's sleepy th is different um obviously it's sleeping you shouldn't really be taking um thc in the day um and drive a motor vehicle that's for sure um and th- there is evidence that um and recently there was evidence from uh, a dutch group looking at um, THC and CBD on a driving simulator in the JAMA JMA uh, um, journal, and they found that CBD doesn't CBD on its own does not impair driving. Uh, admit it's a driving simulator rather than real life. Um, THC does at the beginning, but the effect wears off after four hours. So you've got to be careful about. Um, taking THC and driving off because it'll right. impair your driving. Similarly, if you're smoking weed, mm-hmm. because it's large quantities of THC, you shouldn't really be driving a motor vehicle, yeah. which is why we have those laws in this right. country. So how do you know when it's sort of, I know you're, you're um, prescribing very low doses of THC when you do, but is there a way for people to know when it is safe to drive? I mean, so if they had something the day before, I mean, are they good to go the next morning? Look, I suppose... Um, um, that comes, I mean, there's a big debate at the moment yeah. with driving medicinal cannabis, and it's yeah. good you brought up the subject because everybody asks me that. Um, the laws are changing, mm-hmm. and the, the thing 
for example, Canada, who are like a few years ahead of us, mm -hmm. um, it's an impairment judgment. Are you impaired at driving a motor vehicle rather than a, a level in your saliva or, or in your urine or whatever? Yep. Now, the laws are changing and there's a motion in Victoria Parliament that medicinal cannabis, THC and CBD, um, it shouldn't be almost discriminated against. You know, I suppose, who's the safer driver? The guy who's taking opioids, diazepam, not sleeping, chronic pain, gets in a motor vehicle in the morning to drive off. <laughs> yeah. Or someone who's taking it at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, bit of THC, low doses, obviously, slept well, pain-free, getting in the motor vehicle. Like I said, the driver simulator tests show that after four hours, you're not impaired. But... If the laws change in Victoria, and hopefully um, that will go ahead, because I'm a big believer that um, THC and CBD improves your well-being so much so that you shouldn't not take it because there's a law to say if your level is above zero, then you shouldn't drive. It's you, buddy, with the chronic pain and the insomnia and the mental health issues. Yeah. You know, and they have to make that judgment. So they all know what the law is. They all know they're not allowed to drive if impaired. They know what the science is. They make that judgment. Mm. But I have to say, a lot of people in chronic pain, a lot of people with severe insomnia, um, for them, they come, they're number one and they wear not to drive if impaired. But they know that, you know, if they're caught with a level above zero by the police, then you know, there might be consequences of that. Mm. Um, and they make an informed decision. It's not for me to say you're fit to drive or not fit to drive. If you go through a red light and you've taken THC and your levels are still zero, I'm sorry, mate, you went through a red light. Mm -hmm. But you're still taking THC and you weren't impaired, but you went through a red light. Or if you went through a red light and you were taking THC for your chronic pain and your saliva test was positive, just because you're taking medicinal cannabis ain't going to save you because you went through a red light, you broke the law. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of this, the questions that people ask is that random testing. Yeah. And so I think we're changing in Australia and I'm not going to say which industry or which company, but it's a massive Australian institution where a patient of mine is on THC and CBD for chronic pain, for PTSD, uh, for anxiety and insomnia has done amazingly well and completely changed his life, got him off all the benzos, got him off all the opioids and wanted to um, apply for a forklift driver job in the warehouse of this big company. And he, he said, look, um, I need a letter to say um, I'm on this stuff to say that it's all above board. It's all, you know, the medications is TJ approved because yeah. uh, they're going to, test me, urine, the urine test came back positive at th with THC. What did the HR say? When can he start, mate? Because they knew that this person, um, he's taken at night time anyway, and that he's looked after by a specialist, and that he's actually um, doing so well with his well-beingness, that he's a healthy employee, which will therefore translate into a healthy employer. So I think things are changing, which is great, yeah. and realising that this form of medication is here and is here to stay, mm. and it's going to be mainstream.
That's great. I thought you were going to tell me they turned around and said, sorry, you can't have the job. No, no. Well, no, that for me and for him was a revelation. Yeah, that's brilliant. See, finally, we're moving on. Australia's going places. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll, it'll be a better world for it. Yeah. But we're also lucky as well. We've got uh, things like Uber. So if you get stuck <laughs> and you feel like you're impaired, yeah. then just call an Uber. Yeah, absolutely. Or an Ola uh, or whatever they are. How many? What are oh, they? Well, are you uh, hop, on the, hop on the back of a Deliveroo as they come past. Didi. <laughs> Well, Didi, provided they're not on the Lambretta themselves, though. <laughs> well, Uber came to a rescue today, didn't they, David? Well, kind of, well, well yeah, sort of. It was all for nothing in the end, but yeah, they did well. They did their job. We just didn't do ours. We, um, for the listeners, if you're wondering, we, we forgot a charging cable, and so I had to get one from my house delivered over, and then we realised it's the wrong connector. So <laughs> it still didn't help, but I think our battery is just about lasting. Is it weird? Yeah, we should be good. No, we're fine. I've got this. one or two final questions. Um, for people who start on CBD oil for, for sleep, do most of them, you know, I know it's sort of a, a young specialty, but do you anticipate they'll be on it longer term or can you have shorter term acute sort of treatments or? Yeah, good question. And a lot of people ask me that. How long do I have to be on this for? How long is a piece of string? How long have they got anxiety? How long have they got chronic pain? Um, I try and... You know, sort of say, well, look, you know, you can stop after two weeks, but your chronic pain is not going to go away. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people, they are just so overwhelmed by actually feeling better. For them, certainly for the insomniacs that I see, it becomes a nightcap. Yes. Now, um, who knows, the circumstances might be better with stress or PTSD or anxiety in a year's time or two years' time. And so... That person will decide. Yeah. Um, what I've done is give them the physiology of the mechanism of why they feel this way, give them a solution. Yes, it might be or might not be medicinal cannabis. They're informed. They make an informed decision whether they go ahead and it's up to them. Yeah. I'm there to advise them and guide them uh, from my experience that, yeah, you might have to up the dose or lower the dose or add a bit of this and add a bit of that to get that sweet spot. And then what they do after that is up to them. None of this is a health issue. It's, it's not as if, you know, they're going to die from anxiety or insomnia or chronic pain it's a well-being issue yeah. it's all down to wellness and i think that's the big key you know for my work like it is for your work you want to feel good you want to look good and be a normal human being they can just get on with your life without being in pain without being anxious without having no sleep you know and that's what it's all about yeah i yeah. think it's great and where do you think i mean you sort of alluded to the fact that the, the laws which inevitably always take time to catch up uh, a changing, but what do you think the future holds in terms of how much this is going to be integrated into just everyday life for people as an acceptable treatment option? Yeah, look, T the TGA, Therapies Good mm. Administration, have put a, a, a policy paper in um, looking at CBD oil um, uh, to be a Schedule 3 drug at some stage. At the moment, it's a Schedule 4 drug. If it's a Schedule 3, that means it can be available over the counter. And so they've put in, it's like oh. the Ten Commandments almost, that you have whoever wants to, as a, a pharmaceutical company that wants to have their products um, uh, over the counter, they have to fulfill these set of criteria. They have to make sure their product is uh, validated in clinical trials, that it's safe, that it's effective, and blah, 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 cost-effective. 
And then obviously the onus is now on the pharmaceutical company. It'll, it'll cost a lot of money for them to do that, but I'm sure in two, three, four years' time, that might be the case. Interestingly, just this last week, I think it's WHO um, that have taken cannabis off the, 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 I think, the poisons list or something. Mm. Um, and so we're moving away from um, that cannabis is in um, the same league as um, cocaine, heroin, all those sort of drugs. Again, I am not some flower power person that has been, you know, sort of lobbying this sort of stuff. My interest is in the physiology, the pharmacology and the medicine and the science. But certainly there's a lot of movement in trying to make people realize that actually there's some benefits of this plant like there is in other plants you know where we do where do we get digoxin from you mm. know from the digitalis plant and so on so there's so there's a lot a lot of treatment options from the herbal plant variety of this world that can be used for medicinal purposes and i think that's where cbd is sitting thc i think will be a different kettle of fish um i think it would still be a schedule late and that will never be in my opinion an over-the-counter and rightly show yeah um and i think that will still be and i hope so still be under the jurisdiction of the experts like myself to prescribe thc because taking too much thc can cause harm obviously yeah um I'm, yeah, I know you're going to ask me, you might do, where do I stand with legalizing marijuana? I'm a little bit opposed to that, and I'll tell you why that is. Not because, you know, uh, because we should legalize it, because that's what they do in other countries, you know, where states, Jamaica, or whatever. But the problem is with, when you legalize something like marijuana, like they've done in, I think, some parts in Canada, people then go for the street marijuana for the medicinal benefits rather than using medicinal cannabis through the experts and so i have a, a concern that that's what people will do moving away from medicinal cannabis so yeah. remember there is very little cbd for if at all any in marijuana so many people that i see need the cbd so having a joint to reduce your anxiety ain't going to work. Yeah. They need the CBD. And that's why I'm opposed to legalization of marijuana in this country. And mm. of course, there's a proportion of people susceptible to becoming schizophrenic. Absolutely. I mean, THC, you've got you to treat it with care. You've got to treat it like a lady. You know, you've got to <laughs> just make sure you don't, you know, you know take advantage of it. Yeah. You've got to respect THC. And, you know, there are individuals that don't. And then they realize very quickly that, you know, THC can cause harm. Um, and so you have to respect it. Um, and that's why, you know, TH THC you would never use in people who've got bipolar or schizophrenia or psychosis. And I'm very, very cautious about, you know, understanding the, the medical psychiatric history of an individual where I'm looking at, you know, this form of therapy to help anxiety. If they got bipolar, they've got schizophrenia, absolutely no, no. Yeah. And it's amazing that a lot of these individuals do revert to marijuana because someone has said to them, smoke marijuana, you'll feel great, you'll sleep. But they, 
they're taking the wrong stuff. You know, they need the CBD. Can I ask, um, does a farmer, does a company or one company specifically make CBD? Because it's, like you say, it's from a plant. It's not a, a drug that's been developed, you know, like, um, you know, whatever, any drug you, you think about. So is it generic? A lot of, there's a lot of companies. Right, okay. And you can just Google it. Uh, and, you know, they'll have their own R&D, research and development. They'll have their own horticultural scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like wine and vineyards, yeah. you know, and their plant, one plant might be having a bit more THC than a bit less CBD mm-hmm. or, you know, the blends are different. And so there's lots of companies that are doing this, so... How did we get through a whole podcast without an accent? I know. The other one was littered with accents. <laughs> oh, well, we, that's because you're too serious today. So, uh, uh, well, it's because David's naughty. I had to tell him off. So uh, we all got a bit serious. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you something really funny. Um, I was doing, uh, I mean, Zoom has been amazing. Um, I love Zoom. Because I said, I think I said last time, my jokes are funnier on Zoom than in real life. And um, it's interesting how many patients have tried to grapple with Zoom for the first time. And, there's no protocol of, you know, how do I do a Zoom console? Yeah. And if you go into a GP practice, you know, you got you get a letter to say, you've got to come in this time, and then you park your car, you sit in the wait, you go to the reception, sit in the wait room, sit at a place where you're staying at a fish tank, and then you get called <laughs> and away you go. So with Zoom, they're just a bit flawed. Yeah. And so, um, and I get some great Zoom, there's great Zoom stories, if you don't mind. And the internet goes and, there was one person who said, uh, um, I've got quite big tonsils that's caused a snoring. And she went up to her camera to go show me, like open her mouth. And then her internet went. <laughs> and then all I saw was this jaw with this tonsil. I can get the audio. And for the next 20 minutes, I was staring at this jaw with his tonsils <laughs> bearing upon me. And so Zoom can be fraught with danger. And so when this other person got onto Zoom and didn't know what to say, and she said, uh, uh, are you the doctor? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm Mr. Sharma from the Centrelink <laughs> office. What is your Medicare number, please? And uh, right, uh, no, actually, actually, I'm Dr. Dev. Uh, so it's, it's been uh, a heck of a journey with Zoom, but love it. And only, the jokes are great. Only you could do that joke, by the way. Oh, I know. <laughs> Dr. Sharma. Oh, could be Dr. Patel. I have to say, <laughs> even with our Zooms, with our guests, uh, yeah. sometimes it's it's not awkward. Most of pe- most people have Zoomed, but like you said, there's no protocol, there's no etiquette. You just start. Uh, it just starts. And if the audio goes, and you're just trying to listen, and you're yelling away, yeah. how do you sort of? What's the etiquette of that when you're yelling? I, I can't hear you. And there's a guy um, two days ago. I couldn't quite hear him. But he was saying, I said, so what's wrong with your sleep? And he said, um, it's my wife's bloody clock. <laughs> and I said, your wife's body clock? No, it's the bloody clock. I said, no, well, what's wrong with your wife's circadian rhythm? Is it she's going to bed late and that disturbs you? No, it's the bloody clock. <laughs> it ticks all night and she wouldn't switch it off. Oh, you mean your bloody clock, not your body clock? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it just went on, and it was like, 
honestly, it was like something out of Faulty Towers. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, but that, that was that was great. I reckon there's legs to get someone on from Zoom and do a how to Zoom podcast. Yeah. That'll be a good one. Yeah. Zoom one I want. Zoom for idiots. Yeah. That'd be good. Well, Dev, thank you for your time. Sorry uh, we delayed you by about 20 minutes trying to sort out our cable. Oh, it was a pleasure. Always oh, oh. a pleasure. Do you Great. want to remind us how people get in contact or find you at your clinic? Yeah, Lullaby Sleep, L-U-L-L-A-B-Y-Sleep.com.au. Just for, you know, if you're interested in trying to assess your sleep, I've got a great team, nursing staff who specialize in sleep, therapists, and if you need a sleep test, then get a referral from your GP. We cover the whole of Australia, wherever Australia posts, our kids go. And yeah, look, let's try and... Get your sleeping better, make a world a better place yeah. for 2021. Or they just want a good dad joke. You know, they know. Oh, they know. a good joke. Yeah. I told you, my jokes are better on Zoom than it is in real life. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have, to, have to take you up on that one day. We'll give it a go. <laughs> Thanks, Dev. Thanks, buddy. Take Thanks. care. Bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests, and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.